feeling this morning. Um, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to chapter uh, to Second Samuel chapter twenty three. Second Second Samuel chapter twenty three. We're gonna. I found us a gold nugget. We're gonna we're gonna uh, look at at this chapter together. And as you do that, uh, as you turn to that, let me just catch us up. Today we are wrapping up our sermon series, short series called Against All Odds. And, uh, and what we've been doing in this series, we've been looking at God's power in the midst of the impossible. You with me? Uh, and we've been asking the same two questions every Sunday. They seem to get more and more relevant as this series goes on. One, what is a unique problem or challenge or difficulty that you are faced with right now? And two, who do you believe God to be in the midst of that difficulty? Uh, two nights ago, I went out for a drive. And it was crazy, right? You might have done the same thing. There's people lined all along the, the side of the roads. They're gawking up at the bridges. Anybody see that? People are snapping photos, they're chatting, almost laughing. The fire seemed at that point like a spectacle. Um, I, think, I think we knew this was bad, but there was this, this sense of hope in the air, right? Last night, I wanted the girls to see what I had seen the night before, so we went out for the exact same drive. 24 hours later, everything had changed. The fire's now 11,000 acres, twice as many cars lined up on the roads, but get this, this time no one was talking. Some college students walked up to me. They said they too felt the change. No one left their cars. There was a woman, I'll never forget, she's sitting there staring at the glow, uh, weeping. Most everybody else was almost cleaning their driving, their steering wheels, um, just staring off in the distance, almost in shock. The question of this series is what do we do with moments like that? That's what we've been asking. When we're suddenly faced with an overwhelming dilemma that's completely out of our hands, or, or when we find ourselves stuck and struggling with faith over and over again, and we've learned this simple fact, this simple principle, all the way at the beginning of this series, and we keep coming back to it, we're going to come back to it again this morning. What you perceive is just as important as what you see. And this morning, as we wrap up this series together, we're going to find once more just how important this concept is to our faith. And I want to introduce you to this gold nugget, this guy named Benea today. You've probably never heard of this man before, um, but I promise you by the end of our time together, you're going to fall in love with him. His story is epic. Three short verses of scripture, but an epic tale where we learn some profound lessons about our own pursuit of the kingdom. 2 Samuel 23, verses 20 to 23. Hear now God's word. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, killed him with his own spear. These things did Meneah, the son of Jehoiada, and, and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So imagine with me real fast a snowstorm. It's bitter cold outside, the terrain is covered in white, and a roar comes reverberating through the canyon. And as you walk through the winter fog, you begin to see you're not alone in these woods. 
There's paw prints on the ground that seem to be leading you somewhere. And as you come through the fog, you see it. A lion emerges from the brush. What would you do? It almost sounds cheesy, doesn't it? I've been watching this show called Alone on Netflix. I think I've mentioned it before to you. They drop people in the middle of the Arctic, right, by themselves, only with a camera, to see what might happen in the midst of these woods. And the competition is to see who will outlast who as they find themselves isolated with no help. And I have, to, uh, I have to confess this morning, I have a, a, a confession. Um, as I watch this play out on the couch, I kind of judge these people. You with me? Like in the middle of the night, a bear comes crawling through camp, and they start weeping, and I'm like, man up. What is the problem here? <laughs> and I confess that to you because I think sometimes we do this same thing with the Bible. We, we think, how bad could it be? It's a lion in the woods. Move on. But really, try to imagine with me for a minute. Benea in this moment. They say a lion's roar is meant to put the rest of the wild in its place. That roar tells everyone else, I'm the king of the jungle. And it's snowing. It's a really odd scene that we come across this morning. There's no way Benea is prepared for this. This is long before the days of North Face and Patagonia, right? His wardrobe would have been something like sandals and maybe a wool tunic. And just as he looks down into this frozen pit, he finds the threat of a lifetime staring back at him. So really, sit up on the edge of your seat with me. Put yourself in this moment. This is terrifying stuff. Mark Batterson wrote a book about this very encounter. This is what he wrote. You can see it on your screens. He said, it is so easy to read about an incident that occurred 3,000 years ago and fail to appreciate the element of surprise because we know how the story ends. We read the story and we think the outcome was inevitable. But really, just consider what it would be like to be Benea in that moment. He had no idea what would come next. Would he fight or would he flee? Would he win or would he lose? Would he live or would he die? They say a lion can see six times better than a human being at night. Lions can run 50 miles an hour. Their claws are two inches long, teeth sharp as razors. But here's the fun part. Did you know they didn't chew their food? They'd much rather swallow it whole. Just wrap your minds around this scene. Benea has three options. He can hold still, he can run away, or he can chase the lion. It's such a short story, just one line of scripture, and yet the lesson is profound. Again, what would you do? Reminds me of a much longer account you'll be far more familiar with of Daniel in the lion's den. You know, remember, Daniel had refused to follow the king's orders because of his own convictions and faith. And as a result, he was tossed into the den. We know all about Daniel. How come no one's heard of Benea? Benea wasn't thrown in the pit. He ran into the pit. Like, that's some kind of moment. I highly doubt I could even convince my feet to move in a moment like that. Dr. Neil Royce wrote a book called If Only, and in this book he talks about two types of regret. Regrets of action and regrets of inaction. He said a regret of action is, of course, wishing that you had not done something. A regret of inaction is wishing that you had done something. Benea could have frozen in place hoping the lion didn't see him. He could have run hoping that the lion wouldn't catch him, but that's not who he was. Benea chased the lion There was no regret, no indecision. He was on the offensive full on. You ever have a moment in life when God clearly called you to move, but you couldn't? 
or wouldn't. If I'm honest, I have to say I've had a few regrets over the years. You know, if you think about it, if I curse someone on the road for going too slow and I ride their bumper and then I slam into the back of their car for reckless driving, that's clearly going to be a ticket, right? The church would clearly name that moment a sinful moment. That's a regret of action. But if as I'm filling up gas, I see a homeless person over on the corner and I ignore God's prompting for me to go and serve them because it's too inconvenient in that moment, there too I just fell head over heels into sin. We seldom consider that. No one sees it. No one talks about it. No one calls it out. And yet we've all had those moments, those regrets of inaction, right? I mean, don't hear me wrong. Um, it's not a sin to run away from a lion or to freeze in fear. In fact, I'd say standing still would have been the rational decision. But I'm just asking the question this morning, what was it about this man that made him run towards the threat? See, it seems to me that some of the greatest sins of the American church are those that we don't talk about, the sins of inaction. We love comfort. We love status quo. We love predictability. We're terrified of losing all of it. A while back, we took the girls swimming, and uh, one of our favorite games to play in the pool is Chop Chop Timber. Anybody heard of that game before? It's not super politically correct. Well, we put the girls up on the side of the pool, and we ask them, we say, what kind of tree do you want to be today? And they go, I want to be a cherry tree. We throw water up on their feet, and we say, grow, tree, Grow. And then about the time they get their hands up in the air, we yell, chop, chop, timber. And at that moment, at the moment we chop the tree down, they're supposed to fall into the pool. That's the game. And we had played this game hundreds of times with the girls, but on this particular day, my little three-year-old Addie would not move. She couldn't move. She was frozen. You watched her feet scuffle. She moved in. She wanted to jump in the water but couldn't do it. I looked over at my wife, Jen. I said, what's the deal? Jen reminded me the last time we went swimming, she jumped in this exact same game. Water went up her nose and she thought she was drowning. And here's what I'm trying to say. Fear is a power broker. Fear has more control of our lives than we ever give credit for. Like from the earliest age, we're conditioned to live this life by fear. Fear of failure. Fear of rejection. Fear of harm. Fear of pain. Fear of isolation, fear of embarrassment, fear of disaster, fear of death. And sometimes we find ourselves in situations where it seems like God has no idea what he's doing. Where we're suddenly tossed into a situation that makes us feel entirely uncomfortable and like deer in the headlights, we freeze. Really, what crazy man jumps into a pit with a lion in a snowstorm? Who does that? When was the time you had a regret of inaction? The church calls this the sin of omission. It's plagued us from the very beginning of time. You can take it all the way back to the book of Genesis. You'll remember Adam stood by while Eve took the bite of the forbidden fruit as though it wasn't on him. No need to move. He heard the Lord. He knew it was wrong, but he went, let's see how this play out. Let's roll the dice. And you can fast forward and find at the very beginning of the church, same problem. The Apostle Paul confesses this same struggle. Look at this in Romans 7, 19. He says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil is what I keep on doing. 
It's an interesting concept, particularly when we're comparing ourselves with a lion chaser. Just go back with me to the fires for a minute. Um, We've seen the trees blow up like tornadoes. Entire hillsides gone. In 30 minutes, the beauty of the bridgers wiped out. Just imagine the heat from a campfire. And there are individuals running toward that threat. Hundreds of them, smoke jumpers leaping out of planes, pilots doing nosedives along the mountainside. What is it that makes them chase that kind of danger? This was Benea. It was who he was. He saw the threat, and every time he took it head on. Look again at our passage up on your screen, 2 Samuel 23, 21. There was an Egyptian who had a spear in his hand, but Benea went down to him with a staff, a mere stick, snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and took him with his own spear. I mean, the guy brings a stick to a spear fight. It just seems dumb. It's foolishness. It's absurdity. The book of 1 Chronicles tells us Egyptian fighters were seven and a half feet tall. This is David and Goliath all over again. Benea was in over his head, and yet he faced his fears anyway. Let me ask it like this. When was the last time you did something for Christ that terrified you? Where you intentionally stepped out in faith, maybe even felt foolish and dumb for doing so? Or maybe we drill down. Let's just ask it like this. When was the last time you did something for the Lord that maybe at least made you feel uncomfortable? We hate that word, don't we? Discomfort. No one, no one wants to live a life of discomfort. Just consider with me like a, a, a mattress commercial. We promise this will be the worst sleep you've ever had. When you wake up in the morning, your neck will hurt. Springs will be stuck in your side. Like, nobody's going to buy that mattress. We want to live the posh life. We want a life on cloud nine. Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah was this, this prophet sent by God to give a word of judgment to a land called Nineveh. He was told by God, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come upon me. Nineveh was a town wrecked in lawlessness and sin. But Jonah wouldn't do it. In fact, listen to how God's word explains it. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord instead. Jonah is faced with three options, same three options as he hears God call in his life. He can run towards the lion, that being Nineveh. He could stay put and wrestle it out with God, or he could flee. So Jonah runs to the other side of the earth thinking that he can run away from God's presence. And here's why I share that quick side note. We live in a Nineveh kind of world. It doesn't take a seasoned Christian to understand that this world is a daunting place. This life will make you feel like that little kid with a stick coming at a colossal enemy holding his spear. Like a half-dressed man chasing a raging animal in a snowstorm. But the reality for all of us is that the Christian doesn't run from the lion. The Christian chases the lion. Even if the worst of the problems are in front of you, we're called to stand firm in the certain knowledge and hope of Jesus Christ. See, the God that I know is in the business of taking even the worst of predicaments and using them to bring glory to his name. You with me? And not only for his name, but also for our good. Look at this, Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Those who are called according to his purpose. 
Just listen to how Benaiah's life played out from this moment. God used him later as a personal guard for King David. Then he assured the right transfer of power to King Solomon. He eventually became the commander of the entire king's army. Can you imagine if he had run away from the first challenge? Where he would have ended up? You have to wonder, where would he have been if he would have run from that threat? If he would have waved the white flag to fear? I guarantee you he'd had a lot less stories to tell his grandkids. Let me get really specific. Let's use a very simple example. When was the last time you shared your faith with someone? We were up in the Beartooth this weekend and we noticed sheriffs all of a sudden everywhere from all sorts of different counties had converged on this trailhead. They had the dogs, they had the backpacks, they had the maps out. You could tell something was up. And then about an hour later, this yellow plane began circling overhead. Every time it turned, it was so low you could see the pilot. And I asked a bystander nearby, I said, what's going on? She told me a young woman had went on a day hike the day before and never came back. Next thing out of her mouth, she has no idea who I am. She goes, we need to pray. I feel helpless. Now just think about this scene for a minute. When someone is lost in the woods, the entire cavalry comes a-running. Every first responder for miles was at that camp. The bridgers catch on fire, and firefighters come from all over the state to come and put it out. Why? Because life matters. And if you buy into that logic, then here's a simple thought. What about eternal life? Who is it in your life that needs to hear the gospel, and what has been distracting you from sharing it? Why haven't we shared the good news? Like the risk of Christ, of following him, is enormous, right? To follow him means to take up our own cross. Those were his words, not mine. To follow him means that others might hate us when the world hated him. Those are his words, not mine. And once we step over that line, once they know who we are, we might lose relationships. Our reputation may crumble. Our future might not look the same. And if we're honest, no one wants to face that lion. More often than not, fear dictates our day. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Let me translate that. Our faith is foolishness to the world. It's crazy. It's akin to jumping into a pit with a lion in a snowstorm. But to us, that same word is the power of God. Look at how this played out with one of Jesus' closest followers. Um, Peter had just watched Christ's arrest. He knew the stakes were screaming high, right? This is a life and death situation. Um, in fact, let's just do this. Close your eyes and imagine again what it must be like to be Peter. Don't throw in your hindsight bias. What would it be like to be Peter in this moment? Listen to this. Then they seized Christ and they led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. When they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. He denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. 
And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. Before the rooster crows today, you will have denied me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Whether it's Peter or Benea or our own fears, we are all too familiar with moments where we wonder, Lord, what are we doing here? Where we freeze up, vapor lock. Really think about the pattern of God's word for a minute though. This is who God is, right? He takes the impossible time and time again and makes a way if we would just trust in him. No way we can have that child, said Sarah. No way can I lead God's people, said Moses. No way can I fight that army, said Barak. No way can I walk on water, said Peter. No way did he rise from the dead, said Thomas. What is it? What problem are you facing right now? Some of us just lost homes. And who do you believe God to be in the midst of that predicament? The psalmist says, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you go with me. So I guess what I'm saying is when I grow up, I want to be like Benea and chase lions. But in the meantime, whatever it is you're faced with today, hear this, know this, trust this. God's plan is greater still. Jesus said these words, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's cling to that good news today. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for loving us. Lord, we thank you that you know us through and through. And so, God, we confess right now, knowing your love and knowing that you already see us as we are, Lord, we fall short. God, we struggle in faith. Lord, we wrestle in trials. So, God, would you bring us back this morning and remind us, help us to know that you are with us, that you are good, and that you have conquered all. Lord, would we not leave this place victims, but victors, God? Would you help us to remind us that, that you take a mess and you make out of it a message. You take a struggle, a trial, and you turn it into triumph, God. So, Lord, whatever we're facing this morning, as a church, as a people, as individuals, God, let us rest in you. Let us pursue you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.